You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money. So start by knowing what you own and owe, and we'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demand more now. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Fidelity is out with their 2018 Women and Investing Study, and we decided to check in with Kathy Murphy, president of Fidelity Investments' personal investing business, to talk about it. Kathy, thanks for sitting down. It's great to be with you again, Jean. It's really nice to be with you, too. And let me just say, because I know we talk about this all the time, but our listeners know that you have been such a champion of this show and that we really wouldn't exist without you. And so thank you for that. Oh, no, thank you. You're doing an important service for all of us women out there. So tell me about the results from this year. You've been doing this study since 2009, almost a decade. What's new? So the I think the most fundamental thing that's new is that women are now at the point where they're willing to and ready to move forward. So we've talked a lot in the past about why women don't invest, the confidence gap. And i just so energized by the fact that women are now saying, 70% of women are saying it's time to demand more. So that's number one in terms of new research. We can go through a little bit more why and what we're doing about it. But the second thing is, we've talked about this in the past, one of the things that's really concerned me, really coming out of the recession from 2009 is that millennial women didn't seem to engage, even though they were making good strides in the workplace and they were you know, making a lot of progress, they didn't actually focus on the importance of savings and investing to the extent that they needed to. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time we've seen millennial women on track to really lead the way. Well, especially the investing piece, right? Yes. We, millennial women coming out of the recession were pretty scarred. They saw their parents lose jobs. They saw their parents lose homes. They had trouble getting jobs themselves. It it was not surprising that they wanted to sit on the sidelines. Right. In fact, I remember the survey we did at the end of uh, 2009 said only 12% of millennial women considered themselves a primary decision maker in their household about their finances. Fast forward to this year, Mm -hmm. 48% have already taken action to get invested. Sea change. Huge. Yeah. When you talk about the 70% that are ready to put their money to work, dig into that a little bit for me. What, what do you mean, put their money to work? So I think there's a growing recognition that we have to move from saving to actually making that money work a lot harder than just putting it into a bank account. And so 70%, to be precise, 72% of women said that in the next six months, they are going to take action to develop a financial plan and many to say to actually go and invest that money as well, which is really, really big. Uh, you know, they historically, there's been this inertia because people were, didn't have confidence or um, were intimidated by the financial services process. As you know, we've talked about this a lot. One of the things that was surprising to me in looking at these numbers was the huge amount of money that women are keeping in cash. Yes. Money on the sidelines, right. money not in a retirement account. We're talking about 
35% of women have $50,000 or more. 20% have $100,000 or more in cash. I know. I know. Why, why, why has it been sitting there for so long? And what's it going to take to actually get women to pull the trigger on putting it to work? So, you know, as you said, uh, more than half of women, 56%, are not investing at all, and 80% of that money is in cash. So I won't recite, um, you know, all the different statistics. The reason that women don't take that step of investing beyond cash, which is really not an investment, as you, as you and I know, is that they didn't feel like they were connected to the investment process. 65% um, of women equate investing with actually picking stocks. And as you know, as we know, it's a lot simpler than that. You don't have to actually know a lot about specific stocks to be an investor. Mm -hmm. It's really just getting your money to work in a financial plan that allows you to invest over the long term. And the difference between putting money in a bank account and putting money to work for you in any kind of financial plan, it, the, the difference is huge in terms of your overall retirement. Well, because if you've got your money sitting in cash, and I know interest rates are going up slowly, you're looking at a return of about 1% right. on your money. Is there a perception that by putting your money in the stock market, in stocks, you could not just lose some, but lose it all? Is there, is there a perception that it's a zero-sum game? Well, yeah. In fact, I think absolutely. You know, and it, at any given point in time, as we know, the stock market can go up and down. Interest rates can go up and down. I think it, it, what makes women such great investors when they actually do invest is that they come up with a plan, a long-term plan based on their goals or their family's goals, and then they leave that money invested over a very long period of time. If you leave that money invested over a long period of time and don't try and time the market, don't try and guess what stock is up or down today, generally speaking, over long periods of time, you will do much better. And, you know, and, and, and interestingly, women that do invest are better investors than men. Um, and it's because they have that long-term view. The desire to be a stock picker that came out in your research, I, I wonder if that's just a desire to speak the language of investments. I am very open and honest about the fact that despite spending a couple of years in equity research, I am a terrible stock picker, a terrible picker of individual stocks. I'm very good at investing my money. I'm very good at putting it in my retirement account or an account outside of my retirement and just adding to it every single month automatically because boring is better in a diversified portfolio and watching it and watching it grow. Right. I learned early on that I do not want to be a picker of individual stocks, but I get wanting to have the conversation and be able to ask my questions. Right. Yeah. Well, so oh, there's a lot in that. So first of all, as you were talking, I I keep thinking about, you know, so why do women think about investing as being equated to picking stocks? It's because it's the way the financial services companies have talked about it forever. And, you know, I'm fond of saying that financial services is a business that was created by men in the image of men, and not because they were trying to exclude women, but because that's how what they knew. And so these concepts of talking about your money, which really is your hopes and dreams as alpha or beta, 
is so foreign to so many of us, men and women. And so um, I think it's really important, and Fidelity has done a lot in this regard, to demystify the, the topic of investing in financial services. It's not about stock picking. It's about having a financial plan. It's about realizing what where you want that portfolio to be in terms of the type of assets you put your money into. And so women don't need to shoulder this big burden of learning all about stocks and alpha and beta and all of that. If they have questions and they don't want to actually take the time to go deep into it, that's what financial advisors are for. Mm -hmm. We can talk about good and bad financial advisors, but the bottom line is you can get help. And the point is have a plan, be comfortable with how your, your money is allocated across different types of options, and then, as you say, set it and forget it. And the women that do that have a lot more money at the end of 20 or 30 years than they did when they started. I think a lot of women don't know what to do first. Yeah. Um, one of the data points in your study says that women say they'd be more likely to invest or to invest more of their savings if there were clear steps to help yes. them do so. 58% right. Right. agreed with that statement. So if you were going to one, two, three it for the people who are listening who feel like that, yeah. what's one, what's two, what's three in terms of the steps? So um, this is an area where Fidelity over um, the last 10 years or so has put a lot of time and effort into understanding what appeals to women in terms of how to engage in this process. And so there's other companies that have some of this material as well. I'm most familiar with Fidelity, so I would tell you, go to fidelity.com. We've created a separate whole landing zone filled with this information for women. It's fidelity.com forward slash demand more. And that has a checklist of things you should consider. It's got a short questionnaire to help you think through your various you know, financial planning issues and options. And we can also, whether it's over the phone, in one of our branches, or if you're more comfortable just exploring digitally, we've got lots of different ways for you to investigate more or ask your questions in a, in a way that you don't feel intimidated or patronized. You know, I actually went through that questionnaire. It's seven very short questions, and they're like, Questions about how old are you? Yeah. Do you have a partner? Is this in your retirement account or not in your retirement right. account? And what it emerged with after two and a half minutes answering these questions was just, this is how much of your money you should put in stocks, in international stocks, in bonds, and in cash. A very simple right. asset allocation, which is very useful if you don't know how to do that for yourself. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and even the, when we talk about stocks and bonds and international, you don't even need to learn. You can. We will go as deep as you want to, for example, but if you, you know, you don't need to know a lot about investing to say, you know what? I don't want all of my money in the stock market. I want some of it to be in a uh, in bonds where it's more predictable what income will come out of that over time, but I know there's a lower return there. A, a good financial professional can go through all of that with you. And the whole point of, um, of that process is to say, what do you want in terms of your financial goals? What are you trying to achieve for you and your family? And then let's set a plan, an investment plan that we can help with. We will work for you as opposed to you having us do it yourself or you working for us. We will work for you to have that plan come together in a way that's most comfortable for you. I've heard you say before, not everybody needs a pro. Yeah. Not everybody needs a financial planner on the payroll. Where's the line? You know, so... 
first of all, I think for the more complex your life and your finances get, the more you probably want to rely on a financial professional. What I, I so many young women in their 20s who are trying to do the right thing come to me and say, you know, um, I want to get invested, and so I've paid an advisor to help me. And I, I cringe a little bit about that because I, I, I want to make sure that um, these women aren't using that hard-earned money and giving it to somebody else versus doing it themselves. So what I would encourage, the less complex your situation is, the more you should at a minimum just go online, take the questionnaire, think through whether you're comfortable with the approach that's suggested there. Can you do it on your own? Call, we, we for example, Fidelity has people you can call free of charge to go through a back and forth with, but you don't have to pay them a fee to do that. As your life gets more complex, you probably do want to turn to an advisor and you might even say to them, you know what, I am not comfortable managing all of this. I want you to manage it for me and I'll pay you a fee for that. But make sure you know what they charge and how they get compensated. There is only so much money that we're allowed based on the tax code to put into our retirement accounts each year. And part of your goal, I know, is to get people, to get women thinking about investing outside right. of our retirement accounts. When we're looking at all of our resources, how do we know how much we have to put aside for emergencies, how much is safe to invest, and how much in addition to our retirement accounts we need to do? Yeah, so we have some rules of thumb for that because we serve millions of people and have seen, you know, what works. Um, first of all, you need to have about, I w we would say, six months worth of um, your savings in an emergency fund. Life happens if you need to get that money quickly. That together with, if possible, really max out of any retirement plan that your employer offers. Oftentimes, employers will g match your uh, money. That's like giving yourself a raise, it's, it's, or said another way, it's free money. If you're gonna put in 6% and your employer will match that up to a certain amount or they'll match you know, 50 cents for every dollar you put in, make sure you're not leaving money on the table. It's like a raise. And then beyond that, to the, you always should save more outside of your 401k, 403b, your own retirement plan. And we would say that ideally have that amount be about 15% of what you make. If you do that, you'll be on your way. The other important thing, Gene, I know you know this, is the earlier you start, the more comfortable it is, right? Because of the effect of those savings being invested over a long period of time. My stepfather likes to say your best friends are time and compound interest. Yes, right. Yes. And yes. His, his sons were raised on that. They, they repeated every birthday. Yes. Um, let, let's talk a little about the fear factor yeah. in all of this. The study unearthed that 40% of women say their money is keeping them up at night at least once a, a month. month, at least once a month. And that's terrible. I know, it is. And again, I think that um, there's a lot that goes into that, but I do think that the financial services industry um, hasn't done enough to help women. Um, to the extent that women are intimidated by this process, that's not their fault. That's the industry over a long period of time. That's why Fidelity is so committed to changing that. The investment process is not hard. Women, as I said, do great when they actually do invest, but it's really important for us to say, look, there's a very clear path forward. We can help you along the way. You're smart. 
You're doing great in other aspects of your life. In fact, even as the CFO of your family, oftentimes, you know, women tend to be the CFO. They tend to pay the bills. They tend to make 80% of the purchasing decisions in their mm -hmm. household. They are the CFO of their household. This can be part of that job. And you're likely doing fine in your retirement account. Yes. Right? There's this disconnect yes. between being an investor and having a 401k That's right. that is a little perplexing to me. Have you figured that out? You know, I think that people go through that 401k process, sign up for something, and then don't think about it all too often. And so that it's probably not that top of mind, but you're right that it's the same process. In your 401k or 403b, you made a decision about where to put your money. It's the exact same process when you're talking outside the 401k. So I think visit that, right? Yep. I mean, if you can visit that and allow yourself to feel good about it, yes. maybe that'll give you, there's a little bit of fake it till you make it in investing. And I in think. life, right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and in life. Um, anything surprising to you, anything else that was especially surprising to you coming out of this? So a couple of things. I mentioned the millennial women already, so, so that was a surprise on the upside. I'm just so pleased that millennial women have really taken more control and are making this money work hard for them. Um, I was surprised on the downside that um, over the half of women still have 80% of their that money in cash. Mm -hmm. And so you think about what's happened over the last 10 years. The stock market has gone pretty much straight up. If somebody had invested, and even if you don't, you're going to invest that money for 30 years, the first 10, you know, you would have made sizable gains that really could have given you a lot of comfort as part of your retirement. And so that's painful to see. And it's because, well, two things. First of all, women on average, we're going to live to be 95 or 100, right? And so we have to think about that long-term approach to making our money last. But it's also about women feeling empowered. Uh, finances are such an important part of empowerment. Well, and you talk about the last 10 years. Let's talk about the last year. Yeah. I mean, we are seeing women step into our power in so many different ways. As you look at the results of this research, do you think there's some of that playing a role? You know, it's hard to point to research that says that, but it certainly was on my mind as I read these results. And I think that's a great thing. You know, um, a lot of different things going on in different parts of our culture and society in terms of women being treated the right way, women being recognized for the great work that they do. And I'm pleased that, you know, another leg of that stool is women feeling empowered to demand more about their financial future and hold people more accountable. Kathy Murphy, thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to talk to you about this. You too. I also want to remind everybody that Her Money is proudly sponsored by Fidelity Investments. What if you could demand more from your money? What if you could make your savings work as hard as you do? And what if that helped you reach your financial goals faster? It all starts with a financial checkup and an understanding of what you own and what you owe. From there, the folks at Fidelity can help you evaluate your investment options and come up with more ways to grow your savings. You can get started today at fidelity.com slash demand more now. Kelly has joined me in the studio. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. 
All right, questions. We'll do one from Kimberly. She writes, I'm 34 years old, live in the suburbs of an expensive major metro area with my two kids and husband. We both work, but I make more money. For the first time ever, I hit the Social Security max and the 401k contribution max both in November. So now I'm seeing more money in my paychecks while learning for the first time that the Social Security tax bracket exists and dealing with some guilt about being in this bracket. I intend to pretend the money isn't real and want to move it into investments. We have no debt other than our mortgage, which is really a good rate. 3.375%. Combined, we make too much money to contribute to a Roth account. A few questions. The first, where is the best place to invest this extra money? Is the traditional IRA a good option for us, or should I put it in my investment account, which is very conservative, would probably go into index funds? We also contribute $500 a quarter to 529s for each child already, 10 months, and 5 years old. So Kimberly's right. She's in a very fortunate situation. And what she's talking about for people who are unaware is that there's a limit on how much you have to pay into the Social Security system each year. And once you get there, you start seeing a little bit more money in your paycheck. She's also seeing more money because she's already hit the amount that she's allowed to contribute to her 401k. So she's just feeling a little bit guilty about the fact that her paychecks are flush and she wants to make the most of that opportunity, which I think is really great because you may not have this opportunity every year. Tax rates could change. Your work situation could change. I think make the most of it while you can. A traditional IRA is a fine option because like a Roth IRA or a 401k, although you're not going to get a tax deduction for making the contribution because of the money that you're already putting into your 401k, it will grow tax deferred and that in and of itself is a benefit. So I'd say put the money into an IRA invest it along the lines of your other investments. And by that, I mean, look at your entire portfolio, the money that you've got in your 401k and this and your other investment accounts combined, because chances are they're all leading you toward the same goal, which is retirement. And from that perspective, they should be lined up. The The other alternative is to put a little bit more money into those uh, 529s for the kids. I'm not opposed to that either. If you feel like you have run the numbers and you're not going to have as much in those 529s as you would like. Nice. Now one from Sarah. I'm in my 30s and looking to open a Roth IRA. In looking at target date funds, is it important to have diversity from existing 401k accounts? It looks like the underlying funds are the same. Or am I better off adding money monthly or is annually okay? The lump sum would potentially give me options that would lower my fee by about 0.2%. Actually, it's a really good question coming off my answer to the last question because we don't invest our accounts separately when they're being invested for the same goal. And here the goal is, again, retirement. The fact that the underlying funds in both the 401k and potentially the new Roth IRA are the same allows you to just put more money into that same target date fund. And I would do it all at once and just keep the fees as low as possible. Great. And we'll do one more from someone who would like to remain anonymous. We want to buy a house in the nearby city with better school districts. The housing market is just awful for buyers right now. Would you recommend waiting for a market crash? No, I wouldn't (laughs) recommend waiting for a market crash. I mean, look, there are 
prognosticators out there. I love the word wow, prognosticators. It sounds word. it is a fancy word, and it sounds like the sports pages, which is why I really <laughs> like it. Um, but there are experts out there who believe that we will be in recession come 2020. I don't know if that is true. I've I've been reading the newspapers like everybody else, and I'm not changing my behavior in my investments or in my savings based on the forecasting of a recession. Recessions come and recessions go, and we have to work toward our long-term goals. As far as a housing crash, I don't think you could predict that another one of those is coming either. What I would say is if you are sure that you are going to remain in this house for at least five years, buying is probably the right move. If you're not sure you're going to be there for at least five years, renting is probably a better move. There's no law that you have to buy a house. Um, What I like about having a mortgage is that a paid-off mortgage becomes a supplemental retirement account. It's another means of forcing yourself to essentially put away money every single month that you can eventually use for some other purpose when your income starts to drop off in retirement. But if it doesn't make financial sense for you to do that right now based on where you're living, if if renting is a lot more cost-effective and that allows you to, for example, put more money into your retirement accounts, that's an okay thing to do too. Just be conscious of the price difference and try to go into it with a plan. Great. Thank you, Jean. And thank you, everyone, for writing in. And in our weekly Thrive segment, we know women are more likely to take career breaks for childcare, and now we have an idea of how much it can cost them. According to a recent study by the Center for American Progress, women forfeit up to four times their income each year they stay home after calculating missed retirement savings and Social Security contributions. And in light of our previous conversation about the chances of a recession, I think it bears noting that whenever you take a step back from the workforce, you should have a plan for getting back in. Because particularly during times of recession, it can be more difficult to pick up your income where you left off. Whatever way you go about it, if you decide to take a step back from the workforce, step into your role as CFO of the home. Just because you're not bringing home a paycheck doesn't mean that you should be absent from your family's financial decisions. Look at where your family's money is going. Look at where you're spending, where you're investing, and keep in mind that even if you're not earning a paycheck, if you have a spouse in the workforce, you are eligible to make an IRA or Roth IRA contribution each and every year. The word for it is a spousal IRA, and it can help make sure that your retirement goals stay on track. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we'll be back with another great guest.